Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. In this episode, it gives me pleasure to feature Monique Long, an independent curator and writer based in Harlem. Her journey starts with pursuing a career in performing arts, ballet, to now a career in the visual arts. Monique was curatorial fellow at the Studio Museum of Harlem, and she is currently a frequent contributor to several publications, including Document Journal and Art News. After her first commercial exhibition, featuring artist Elizabeth Columba, Monique decided to work independently, and I am excited about her upcoming exhibition titled Elegies, Still Life in Contemporary Art, which we hope will open at the Museum of African Diaspora in September in San Francisco. The exhibition is a selection of works by contemporary artists that primarily portray the figure, but have turned to still life and recast this style of 17th century painting as an existential exploration. In this episode, Monique shares with us insight into the role of the independent curator. Welcome and enjoy. Welcome, Monique, to my podcast, Cerebral Women Art Talks. I'm really looking forward to our conversation about your intellectual journey working with large institutions like the Museum of Art and Design and the Studio Museum in Harlem to becoming an independent curator. So share with us that journey. Tell us about yourself, what you enjoy most about your profession, and when in your life did you recognize this passion? Is that a loaded question? That's a, that's a multi-layered question. Okay. Um, I think at a certain point in school, I knew that I wanted to be a curator. Um, I initially began as a dancer. Oh, did you? Mm -hmm. And uh, wasn't going to work out. At a certain point, I realized I wasn't going to be able to transition as a professional. So I took a beat or what they call in Europe, like a, a gap year, but it was gap years. <laughs> And then um, decided I really wanted to be in New York. Um, had always set my sights on New York for whatever I was going to do, but I uh, came to New York to go to school and uh, studied American studies with a focus on African-American studies. I uh, wanted to study history and literature because I wanted to be able to contextualize the work that I wanted to do as a curator. And um, little by little, I had... Um, work at institutions. Even when I was in school, I worked at the Met uh, Museum in the library there, the curator's library, and just really developed my interests and my intellectual interests. And um, I think 
a, at a certain transitional moment, um, was awarded a fellowship at the Museum of Arts and Design, where Larry Stokes Sims was uh, the chief curator. And she was working on this survey of contemporary African art called the Global Africa Project. And it was transformational. It was really amazing to see her work and learn about what a curator does on a multi-faceted uh, level. And she did it all. She did it all very well. And um, just to work at her feet and do her bidding <laughs> was a lot of hard work, but it also um, broadened my view of what a curator does here and now. And uh, from there, I worked at the Studio Museum in Harlem on a survey of Black performance art and also mounted my own exhibition, which was huge for me because it's my first exhibition at a major institution and learned a lot just having to punch above my weight and, and really step up to that standard of um, what it means to do that at that level um, intellectually and, and just executing it step by step. And uh, I was a curatorial fellow there, so my time there had a beginning and an end. And at the end of that time, I found myself with an opportunity to mount a commercial exhibition and was another awakening because I realized I had an instinct for that kind of work and mounted a show. That's great. And isn't it great to be challenged? It actually forces you to fine-tune skills, build school skills, and sometimes unless we're challenged, we don't, we don't really do that. So I just want to backtrack just a touch. So you said you were in dance. Were you ballet? Was it ballet? Yes, I started out um, as a training classically and then switched to modern. Wow. Very early on. Oh. Yeah. So you still work out? <laughs> <laughs> um, not so, after so many injuries and... Yeah, and that's not so much anymore. Yeah. Actually, when I realized I couldn't... I had always thought or assumed or took for granted that I would um, be a dancer. So it was very hard for me psychologically, emotionally, um, and physically because, you know, it's a huge physical investment. So for a while, I had to step away from it. I didn't see a lot of performing arts for a few years. Um, but, yeah, no, no, I love it. I want to hear more about the exhibition that you led at the Studio Museum. Oh, sure. I will say something about what you said about being challenged and the gift that that brings. I feel like if you decide to come to New York, right, you're not born here. You're someone who migrates here, which many of us have done. That's the challenge in and of itself. And from I that bet. point on, you're always um, sort of meeting those challenges every day from the moment you step out of your apartment. Um, so, yeah, it's scary, but um, it's also been really productive for me. There's something... Uh, uh, productive about oh god living in new york city and <laughs> taking on the dirt and the crowd and the personalities the personalities yes. and you know you know being you know being meeting those challenges every day yeah no, but there aren't many art independent curators are there i mean you're a rare breed no i i think um i think there's a kind of um curiosity and sort of uh, people don't really understand what, what curators do. But yeah, there, I think there are a lot of um, curators who 
are independent. Um, there's an organization in town called the International Independent Curators International, ICI. Well, maybe I shouldn't admit that you're the only independent curator that I know. Right. <laughs> maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe yeah. I just haven't asked, right? right. Yeah. 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 I spend so much time in museum and galleries. They're always... Can I assume that those curators work with those institutions as staff or are some of those independent? For, uh, at galleries? At galleries, usually they don't call themselves curators, but they, they, what they in fact do is organize exhibitions, but for a commercial purpose. So that's the distinction. You know, at, an, at a museum or an institution, the mission is, has primacy, but at a gallery, sales is the primary focus. So there's usually not a theme or this scholarly approach, although that's not necessarily always the case, but um, that's the distinction there. But they usually call themselves gallerists or dealers, which, you know, boils it down to the Make, transactional. They're making money. Yeah. 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 So what are some of the recent exhibitions you've worked on and, and what was your motivation behind getting involved? Um, so after studio, the commercial exhibition that I did, was, which was kind of a turning point, um, was a solo show for uh, a painter. Her name is Elizabeth Columba. She's from Paris. Um, her pa parents um, migrated from Martinique to, to Paris, which is where she was born. And um, she was classically trained there, went to the Ecole Beaux-Arts. And suddenly she finds herself in New York and not tracking because her background and her um, her sort of biography is very different from most contemporary artists. And her visual language is extremely different, which is, of course, what I was drawn to and um, why I wanted to um, ha create a platform for her work. Um, so we did a book and um, got some scholarly writing around it. And I approached a show unlike most um, exhibitions at a gallery, like I would at a museum show. I was just coming off of um, being at studio and just really wanted to create a, a context for her work. Not really thinking about my about sales because my background is institutional and not really understanding how that worked. Um, but the show was wildly successful um, by those standards anyway. And um, more than half the show sold out in the first hour. So would you say you took an intellectual approach to showing her, working with her? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, I'm familiar with her work, so in my opinion, it was really wise to take a scholarly approach mm -hmm. because her work is interesting and it is a reflection of the past and reading about it can reinforce things that sometimes we lose touch with. And especially for those of us who may have backgrounds similar to hers. Right. Uh, I like it. Yeah, her work is great. So tell us about the group exhibition in Moad, San Francisco, that you're working on or organizing. Yes, uh, the exhibition is a project I've been thinking about for about three years. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, as a consequence of just being familiar with contemporary artists and seeing so many, um, so much work over the years and just seeing this pattern. And the show is called Elegies, Still Life's in Contemporary Art, which is in fact the theme of the show. I'm looking at um, 
uh, still lifes um, by artists who mostly make portraiture, but have turned to still lifes for one reason or another and asking the question why. Uh, so, for example, um, Jennifer Packer, who actually was an, an artist in residence at studio when I was there, a wonderful painter who um, turned came, seemingly came out of nowhere with uh, a, a whole slew of these um, paintings, these still lifes. One was in the Whitney Biennial, and um, they're really beautiful. And um, just thinking about um, people women in particular who have been murdered by um, police and encounters um, in various scenarios as a sort of a commemoration and a reflection on that. So that's just one example. And how many artists? There's about a dozen artists in the show. And all still life. All still life. Wow, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So uh, do their backgrounds overlap in any way? I mean, are they, are some of them figurative artists? Yes, absolutely. Um, all of them, mostly, and that's what I find interesting. Most of the artists in the show portray the figure, but for whatever reason, they're looking at still lifes. They're making still life paintings. There's a variety of media in in the show, actually. So, as um, as an art historical fact, most. The still lifes of, you know, from the 17th century, 18th century were paintings, but I have sculpture in my show. I have a bas-relief in my show, an installation, a, a couple of photographs by Dina Lawson, and, um, of course, paintings. So, Dina Lawson. Mm -hmm. So, what is her version of a still life? I saw this work, actually, in her studio, and at about 2015. And um, the work is a trompe l'oeil. It's a photograph of um, wallpaper in a funeral home. And it's called Funeral Home Wallpaper. That's the name of it. But in, in the photograph, it's a photograph of a still life, which is wallpaper, which is a trompe l'oeil. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. And, and some of the others, can you come in? Sure. Uh, Sadie Barnett is in my show. Um, Angelica Acunili, who had three still life paintings at the Venice Biennale, this uh, past iteration. Um, I mentioned Jennifer Packer, this young artist who makes um, these installations out of gold jewelry. Her name is Lakila Brown. Who else? <laughs> Toyin. Wow. Uh, okay. Oye is in my show. Impressive. Mm -hmm. Girl, San Francisco is going to love it. I'm excited for it. And I, you know, I've devoted my entire career to being here in New York in the New York art scene. Um, but it's, it's, it's great to be learning about the West Coast and to be showing out there. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they need it. They need it. Mm -hmm. And I think they really do appreciate it. Oakland's uh, art scene is starting to pick up also. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But uh, it's good to know about San Francisco. I, I grew up out that way. Oh. And I moved here for art and culture. <laughs> so San Francisco's lagging a little bit. but um, And I don't think I'll be going back. Oh. Not at all. I don't like the weather. I like the weather better here. Me too. Um, but, um, yeah, I think uh, Muad has been 
doing great work recently with a, a string of shows um, that are really interesting. And so I'm looking forward to um, bringing the show there. As I was doing research on you, I saw that you contribute to Document Journal. And I was really impressed by your writing style and the questioning. I, I, I said, okay, I'm going to have to read this more often. So, so what was the journey like writing for the journal? Um, Document Journal is really a beautiful magazine. I still love magazines. And um, I first started contributing to them when the chief curator asked me to write about my own show at studio. And um, we, we just kept in touch. And every once in a while, when there's an artist I really feel like I want to write about, I'll pitch it. And um, that's how... Um, our collaborations happen. Um, so they have a um, blog, and, and I've written for the print version of the magazine as well. But it's something I've really focused on, particularly this year. I resolved to um, push myself as, with respect to writing and um, decided I would write more because it is very challenging. It's very challenging. It's just something that... Um, Sometimes in the midst of, I'm very miserable. Like, why did I just give myself another deadline and um, another thing to do? Um, it's never easy. I, I think for the best writers, it's never easy. But I decided to jump, you know, fully in, and I've been writing for them on more regularly now. And I feel like um, the artists that I write about deserve more exposure. So it's my also my way of mediating that. So the, the, the upcoming show in San Francisco, mm -hmm. will you be writing, publishing anything for that show? I would like, I will say here now, for Document Journal to cover it, but I don't feel like I need to write about it because I'll be writing about it anyway. Um, but um, I hope it, it gets coverage. Uh, there are a lot of art stars in my show, right, who are not lagging for... Um, exposure, but there, um, um, I've made an effort to also bring in some emerging artists in the show that I hope get coverage. Have you thought about interviewing them and doing like the Q and A as you do with um, with your interviews? Have you thought of maybe just interviewing each of them and publishing something? Or? Something. Um, I haven't decided yet, but um, one of the other things that Moet is very great at is. Um, um, programming, so there'll be programming around the exhibition as well, and um, an artist talk the night of the opening. So we love our artist talk, right? <laughs> you do really do. Rashad Newsom, I forgot about him. He's in my show. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Yes, people will be surprised by the work and, and the show by him. I'll have to make a trip out there. Mm -hmm. Do you have the exact date yet? It opens us uh, September sixteenth. Great. For and all, it'll so. be up through the, um, March. Uh, so, 2021. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. And how did you go about choosing the artists? They, I, I didn't go to any artists and say, will you make a still life for my show? It was based on their practice, the extant, their extant practice and work they had already seen. Mm -hmm. Some of them wanted to make new work in the, for the show, which was fine. Um, but it had already, it had to already exist in, in their practice. It had to be something that I saw as a kind of like red herring. Why are you making still lifes all of a sudden? And, um, and where, where'd you get the idea? It was just, I think studio visits 
for curators, it can be very enlightening. Either there's a theme that you've been thinking of and you you wrap a show around that theme, or you see a pattern among artists who are making work individually in their own studios, but you see this trend and you develop a show around that, and mine was the latter. So how closely do you work with artists? Um, you know, I enjoy being around artists. I, sometimes I think I like the ideas more than I like I, I like the work itself. Um, you know, I've devoted all this time and work uh, to to this work, so it's kind of um, occupational <laughs> hazard. I would say <laughs> most of my friends are are artists, and um, it, which was you know starting out was a kind of novelty because in school. You learn all this theory and you construct meaning around um, all these artists who've been dead a long time. So there's no sort of, um, there's no dialogue, there's no give and take or anything. But um, being at the Museum of Arts and Design, working with Lowry on the Contemporary African Art Show, suddenly you have these artists who are resisting, you know, the meaning that you're constructing around their work. They're wanting things. They're talking back. They're, and you're just like, wow, this is, <laughs> you don't learn this in school. You don't necessarily engage with the work. You engage with the words around the work. Hmm. Um, so it becomes, um, you have to challenge it, apply yourself to really understand the work. So I was speaking with a, a artist not too long ago, mid, mid-career artist. Mm-hmm. And she said to me that she was she was start, starting a residency program, and her work is fairly it's 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 fair, it's figurative, and she says I have to come up with a narrative for my work. She goes I don't know what I'm going to say because the colors are what drive me, you know that's what inspires me. She goes but I need to have a narrative for my work. I've never had to have a narrative before. Hmm. So can you comment on the narrative? how important it is for the artist as well as for uh, the viewer or and collectors. Yeah, I, I, sometimes artists resist that. You will go to someone's studio and they're unable or unwilling to talk about their work. Oh, really? Yes, they're very reticent, uh, you know, and you... It's difficult, I think, um, when you go to someone's studio... I'll just say for myself, I won't speak for anybody else. I, I realize it's it's in a sacred space. This is where they create ideas. It's very important. So if you're there, you have to respect their wishes. Um, I also understand the, the um, inclination not to explain. You bring someone there and you force them in, into the exercise of looking. Um, but as a curator and sometimes a writer who has to write about it, it becomes more challenging if someone doesn't want to talk about their work. But it's interesting that an artist would say to you, oh, I, I, I don't have, I've never had to have a narrative around my work. Um, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think I've ever heard that. I do think sometimes artists, you know, rely on people, art workers, art professionals to you, you construct the meaning and it can be that. I might not necessarily agree with it, but at least there's something out there. Yeah, I was just going to ask you that. Mm-hmm. If you have an artist that's reluctant to share, mm-hmm. right? 
and you're working with them and they're having an exhibition and you need to, you know, do a walkthrough, mm-hmm. right? A curated walkthrough. You know, do you have to craft the narrative for them? Usually, you know, I think that's why the, the interview style in which I write for Document Journal is so helpful because then I'm not mediating their words, right? I write an introduction that sort of frames our conversation in that moment in time, and I let them talk about their work in the first person. Um, and you can do that in, in, a, in an exhibition, too. I'd le- I would let, I think, I've, I did it with Elizabeth, actually. We stood in the gallery and went up to a work. I said what I thought about the work, and then she would respond. We don't always agree, and that's fine too. I think it yeah. makes great entertainment. Yeah. Look at the curator and the artist not agreeing, um, but it, it reveals something else about the work. People have different perspectives. Yeah, I, I struggle sometimes with the the curator's perspective. Mm-hmm. I hate to admit it, but mm-hmm. sometimes I do because sometimes I think that their choice of words is to sound fancy and great mm-hmm. and intelligent and bright. And so you sort of get lost in what the artist was thinking. Mm-hmm. So sometimes mm-hmm. I can appreciate the curator. I think if, if they're more factual, mm-hmm. then it, it, it's easier for me. Well, you know, there's many ways to approach a work that you see, but you have to remember when you're in school and when you're in the academy, you it's almost a different language that you learn. And I think that's what I was talking about when I said I started working with contemporary artists and it had to... I had that foundation, but I had to unlearn all of that language. It's not, it's not helpful, and it, it kind of blocks you from engaging with actual work um, because it's just about the words that you learn. You're trained to use to talk about the work, but it's a formula. It's not about the work itself. Yeah. So. Wow, that's interesting to hear. Yeah. You just taught me something. <laughs> you did. Yeah. And I mean, it helps with writing, too, because, you know, you can get in trouble. That's not good writing, I don't think. If you use this word, you know, um, these words instead of um, really responding to the work itself, it's, uh, I mean, I, I don't know if you read the conversation with Chokwase, but <laughs> it's just wonderful to talk to her. She's a really brainy, smart artist. But she can talk, you know, she has an intimate perspective on her own work and her practice. Well, I had to read a couple times to try to figure out what she was saying, believe was me. Awesome. She's yeah. awesome. Yeah, well, she writes beautifully. Mm-hmm. But, you know, but the flow in her brain as she's writing and as I'm reading those same words, my how I digest, how I comprehend those words, Mm -hmm. I know I'm not getting out of it Mm when she's writing. Mm -hmm. And that's why I have to read it a few times Mm -hmm. to see if I can understand what it is the artist is really saying. Mm -hmm. And and, and I'm challenged by that from from time to time. And I'm sure if I am, most most people are, other than people like yourself. (laughs) (laughs) It's very conceptual, but, you know, I think that's one of the honors and privilege of working with artists over a long time. I've been talking with Torquase about this work um, since I was at studio. She was one of the first artists I wrote about for the museum's magazine. And she began that series of work then. So I've had a chance to sort of sit with it for a, a, quite a long time. 
sit with it, study it, study it, apprehend all, you know, and it's always evolving, always changing. In some ways, I'm envious in what you do because I'm also intrigued by artists. I love talking to them. I love hearing what they have to say. And because I'm sort of a linear thinker, it, it takes me into another world, you know, into a space that I'm not familiar with. So because of that, I'm even more intrigued. So um, I've had some great experiences with artists, but I'd love to hear one of your experiences because I'm hearing it from a perspective of a curator and someone who has studied in the, in the same field. So share a few experiences with us. Okay. And this isn't, you can, this is X-rated, so you, you can do it. It's not PG-13. <laughs> it's, it's one I won't forget. Um, I think I mentioned I was working on a survey of um, performance art at um, studio when I was there. And it was a traveling show that um, Valerie Oliver Cassell had organized in, in Houston. And it came to the Studio Museum and Thomas Lex was the curator. And I was working with him on developing these new performances for our iteration of the show. And I got to work with some incredible artists, Dave McKenzie, Coco Fusco, Terry Artis, um, and Terry Atkins, excuse me. And um, Tamika Norris was a young artist who was in the show. She had recently, not very, fairly recently graduated from Yale and her performance for our exhibition was something that she had done two or three times at other institutions, including for Valerie's um, show in Houston, where she cut her tongue and drew a line with the blood across the gallery wall. (laughs) It's very intense. And I was tasked to be with her um, for before her performance and help her in any way that she needed help. And you should see the photographs from that performance. People's faces were (laughs) like, it was incredible, but she was very jittery before. And um, we were, I was with her and we were um, just sitting in the gallery and as she needed to calm down, I could just tell she was anxious about it. And, um, I said, well, why don't we just do three alms? So we sat cross-legged in the the gallery. The gallery was empty. And we closed our eyes and (laughs) did three alms. And I remember Thomas saying, I came up to check on you. (laughs) You were chanting with Tamika Norris in the gallery, and I just decided to back out of the gallery. Um, But that was pretty incredible because you see the pictures of it, and you you think that has to be... um, enhanced that were photoshopped in some way and it's not and it exists on the in the gallery for the run of the show after the performance and how long is the line how wide it was in the mezzanine i don't remember you know you know the mezzanine yeah that she had that wall it's a, it must have been a deep cut Does, do you know if she numbs her tongue at all before though so she had this whole kit that she sent to the gallery beforehand but she was fine after we were drinking champagne at the party, and she was fine. <laughs> <laughs> it was a lot. It was it was quite a bit. That was that was pretty memorable. Yeah, I would think so. That's so interesting. So that's unique, huh? Yeah, all the all those artists 
that I particularly um, worked with were were incredible. And um, of course, you know, Terry Atkins, that performance, his performance with, was with his Lone Wolf Corps. And uh, we met several times during um, uh, before the performance and the day of the performance. He did a, an amazing job. It was so crowded in um, the space where he performed with the Lone Wolf Corps. We had to turn away people, including board members, which was kind of awkward, but um, he, he was great. He subsequently died like that following January. So I feel very lucky to work, have worked with him and so many of the others. Artists are amazing. And the performance art, I'm still learning to appreciate it. But I guess you can get even more creative in some ways, mm-hmm. depending on the risks you want to take. Mm-hmm. Many of those artists, you know, develop these per- personas and they um, bring them in- into the world. It's, you know, how they do that. I-, I got to see that in so many ways from the artists that I work with. So It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, congratulations on everything you've done. And I'm envious because of all the experiences you have. I've had some great experiences. With different types of people, different types of artists. Mm-hmm. That's great. And, and just one last question. So being independent, does it open up more opportunity for you to work with different types of artists? I think, you know, institutions are um, mission-driven. So right. you have to, you know, you, you work within those parameters. Uh, independently, I can generate my own work and choose what I do and what. I, I don't want to do, but it has its restrictions as well. Mm, yeah, so it's quasi entrepreneurial, right? In a way, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Some days are better than others. Some, but you know, I'm working for at an institution for this project, so it's great. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, you've chosen a smart career. Thank you. Path and your journey's been interesting, fulfilling, and it sounds like it's just exposed you to a lot of really great things. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks again. Appreciate you coming. Thank you, Phyllis. Okay. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram. Mm -hmm.